Greetings, all you 99 percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. Okay, I was out of pocket last week, uh, and I'd like to pick up uh, the topic I had planned last week, which is still relevant, I think, uh, which is uh, my analysis of the uh, U.S. midterm elections. Uh, what does it signify? Uh, what does it represent? Uh, where are we going from here after the midterms? Uh, and I also want to have a comment or two about a couple economic uh, issues. Uh, one is uh, the Fed, Federal Reserve, uh, admitted today that uh, the uh, inflation uh, might require a recession. Well, the cat's out of the bag. They finally admitted it. Uh, I'm referring to the statement by the Fed Governor Esther George, Kansas City Fed, who uh, pretty much said that, well, we might not be able to bring down inflation without a recession. I would say, well, you know, maybe your recession won't even bring down inflation. Think about that, Esther. <laughs> uh, as I've been saying all along, if you look at the composition of inflation, uh, it's mostly supply-side inflation, not demand-side. The Fed can bring down demand by, you know, squashing the uh, economy with high interest rates that cause layoffs. And by the way, we're beginning to see them, aren't we? Look at tech, what's going on there. That's going to spill over soon to other sectors of the economy. Mass layoffs occurring in tech. Okay. Uh so, uh, yeah, the Fed can bring down inflation if it's demand-driven inflation. Uh, but inflation is not just demand-driven right now. A significant part of it, maybe 60%, two-thirds of it, I think, and have been saying for some time, is supply-side-driven. Well, what do we mean about supply? Well, we mean uh, global supply chains are still broken in many cases. And the recent uh, U.S. sanctions on Russia have exacerbated the supply chain problem with regard to commodities. <laughs> of course, oil is a commodity, a global commodity, um, but so are industrial metals of all kinds that come out of Russia, and some agricultural products are commodities that also come out of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, those have been uh, severely impacted uh, by the, the sanctions, by the Biden administration's sanctions, and that has exacerbated inflation. That is supply-side inflation. And you overlay on that inflation the fact that monopolistic U.S. corporations, uh, not just in energy, but in uh, baking goods and in uh, uh, meat processing and packaged goods, processed goods and so forth, um, have been uh, raised, rising here because of the power, the economic power concentration of monopolies, these companies, you know, like there's only three companies produce bakery products, bread and so forth, um, and maybe a, a few more producing meat, meat uh, processing, big companies, big corporations, they're price gouging us. Well, that's a supply side issue. That's not demand, that's supply. You raise your prices because you can. And there's no competition, they can't do anything about it. 
So as long as they all collude together and raise their prices together, uh, you know, what can you do? What, what, what will the government do about it? Well, the Biden government won't do anything about it. Right? It's a talk. Uh, so we got price gouging, which is a supply side problem overlaid upon the sanctions and the industrial commodities problem. Well, the Fed can't do anything about supply side. All it can do is, you know, put a foot down and squash the demand side. And inflation is even more supply, 60, 60, 60%, I believe, supply. So the Fed raising rates is going to cause a recession. Mass layoffs are already doing it. And that will bring inflation down some. You know, it was running officially around 9%. Around the last month, 7.7%. You know, it's, it's somewhere in the 8 to 9% range. Officially, it's really around 10% because of the way the Labor Department calculates prices, which I'm not going to get into here. Um, so it'll come down some, but it won't all come down. It will have a deep recession next year, and we'll still have inflation. I say about 4 to 5%. They'll never get to their 2% Fed inflation goal again in the foreseeable future. So we're going to have both. You know, and Esther George, uh, instead of instead of saying, uh, uh, you know, we might have to have a recession to dampen inflation, uh, you should maybe be saying, uh, well, you know, maybe even if we have a recession, they won't dampen inflation much. Okay, so we'll keep an eye on that as we go forward. But uh, the Fed is not that effective as it used to be. Because we had a global economy and we're more dependent upon supply of all kind of co- economy uh, commodities and so forth. You know, I wrote about this in 2017 in my book, Central Bankers at the End of Their Ropes, in which I predicted that the Fed, Fed's ability to raise interest rates would not be very successful in dampening a uh, inflation crisis. Conversely, I also wrote that it doesn't take very much of a Fed rate reduction to overstimulate the financial markets and cause financial asset bubbles. That's the problem with the Fed in the global capitalist economy in the 21st century. It's not as effective in either dampening inflation or stimulating the real economy. You see, when it lowers interest rates, uh, all that free money does not go into real investment that creates jobs. A lot of it goes right into the stock and bond and foreign exchange and derivative markets, speculation. Now, so monetary policy is not as effective as it used to be 50 years ago. It's mostly a way of of, uh, subsidizing financial asset markets and boom, and uh, it's not very effective in the situation we have uh, today. Uh, And uh, Esther George is going to have to uh, uh, edit (laughs) her comments going forward here in a couple of months, I think. Well, we're going to see what happens anyway here in a couple of months. But uh, the point of uh, Esther George's statement is that uh, they're preparing the public for the fact that they're going to continue raising rates and they're going to have to do it probably to stimulate a, a recession. Uh, you know, there, there is a corollary to all this, too, economic, and uh, that is uh, the more they raise interest rates, uh, the more 
zombie companies and markets uh, that have become bloated with debt, leverage as they call it, over the last decade uh, uh, enter a period, these companies enter a period of crisis, right? They can't get liquidity. They can't get loans. Uh, and they're surviving on debt and loans. Uh, and uh, they go bankrupt, right? Uh, and that's why at the end of the show, I want to talk a little bit about this cryptocurrency company, FTX, which is in the news now, uh, imploded. Um, and what are the connections of FTX to Ukraine? Hmm, we're beginning to see. Okay, uh, we'll leave that to the end. Uh, I want to move on to the main topic here today, which is uh, my assessment of the elections, the midterm elections. Okay, you know, a, a lot of spin going on mm, on both sides, Republican and Democrat side, you know, uh, a lot of talk about the red wave that was coming, right? Uh, because whenever you have economic uh, problems in the economy that are severe and you have Democrats in the House, there's usually a wave of 40 to 50 losses of seats, right? That's what happened in 2010. Obama, you know, did not uh, engage in a recovery program that was anything but tepid in 2009. And we kept losing jobs into 2010. Uh, you know, the banks recovered quickly and nicely. Uh, but uh, by the time we got to the midterms in 2000, November 2010, the rest of the economy hadn't. And uh, the Democrats got wiped out in the House. They lost 40-some seats in the House. Uh, and the same thing happened under Bill Clinton in 1994, midterms. Uh, once again, uh, you know, the Democrats uh, did not deliver, and uh, what we got was uh, a wipeout on the Democrats in, in the House, 40-50. You know, Newt Gingrich's uh, contract with America, you know, was born in 1994, and that turned into the Tea Party, of course. Uh, so uh, everyone was predicting, not everyone, but most of the media, oh, you know, look at that historical <laughs> analogies here and saying, oh, red wave coming, red wave. But the red wave did not come. Well, why not? <laughs> Republicans are trying to figure that out. Hmm? Uh, and the Democrats are giving you the spin saying, uh, oh, okay, we took the Senate. We won back the Senate. Well, you know, you didn't win back. You just stayed where you were, really. Uh, well, then, you know, we'll see what happens with the Georgia senatorial rerun here. Democrats might have gained one seat. Uh, but it looks like, you know, it's still 50-50. No change, you know, despite what what has happened to the economy. Why? You know, why no red wave in the Senate like there was none in the House? Uh, the weekend before the elections, by the way, on my Twitter account, I, I, I made a prediction. I said, uh, well, I think uh, Republicans will take the House with... You know, eight to ten, eight to ten seats, not forty. Eight to ten, right? Look, you you got to remember uh, that uh, the Congress is safely, the House is safely gerrymandered by these two parties now over the last twenty years, supported by the Supreme Court. Gerrymandering, right? 
and Democrats went along with the Republicans to gerrymander their safe seats, too. Uh, out of the four, 435 seats in the House, you know, maybe 50 are really competitive anymore. The rest are safe. Yeah. So, you know, we had maybe 50 seats, uh, and I predicted that uh, 8 to 10 seats, you know, Republicans would win, not 40 to 50. Yeah, well, it turns out I think that's just about the exact number we're going to see with the final final votes coming in here. I think the uh, uh, you know the Republicans will have somewhere you know just north of two hundred and twenty, and uh, the Democrats will have about two fifteen, probably somewhere around that. So you know five to ten seat majority here uh, for the Republicans in the House. Which is going to give uh, the crazy right wing uh, a lot of leverage <laughs> over McCarthy, you know, the new Republican Speaker of the House. You know, uh, they're going to spend their time, uh, most of it, with uh, uh, hearings here going after the Democrats. We'll talk about that. Right. Uh, and in the Senate, uh, you know, not much has changed in the Senate. Uh, outcomes still determined by Manchin Cinema. Republican corporate uh, uh, shows there uh, on the Democrat side, you know. Uh, so uh, not much different going to go on there in the in the Senate. The point I'm making is that uh, very little change because very little difference in the proposals from two years ago by these two parties. You know, very little. Uh, to see anything different. So, you know, the pretty much 50-50 split that occurred, you know, two years ago is uh, still here, you know, uh, almost split evenly in the Senate still. And, okay, so you flip five to ten seats in the House. Uh, nothing has changed. As the French would say, plus de chance, rien de chance, meaning uh, everything changes, nothing changes. I think that's the takeaway from this election, you know, the power, both wings of the corporate party of America, which we call Republicans and Democrats, or I might say Republicans and timidcrats, um, haven't changed their, uh, their proposals and their, you know, their policies, their programs, their strategies from two years ago. So you know, if neither changes, how can you expect much change in the outcome? Well, let's look at the strategies and the proposals that either of these uh, these players have been uh, throwing at us here since the last election. Let's look at the Republicans. Oh, there you no! Know, why was there no red wave? You know, well, we have all this inflation going on. Why no red red wave? Well, the American voters aren't stupid. You know, you can say and complain about inflation, but what's your solution? Well, you know what a Republican solution to inflation was? Uh, let the oil companies drill more. <laughs> yeah, in other words, uh, uh, if a lot of the inflation is due to uh, um, gasoline prices, right? And now, of course, the refineries uh, have shifted from producing gasoline, right? Trying to produce uh, home heating oil, um, uh, natural gas. And, uh, of course, uh, diesel, right? The problem with uh, 
oil inflation in the U.S., whether it's gasoline or diesel or home heating or whatever, uh, is the oil companies are keeping their oil in the ground. Yeah, there's a glut of oil. There's not a shortage, but there's a glut. They keep it in the ground so that the prices rise. And they do that uh, by using their, their convenient bottleneck of the refineries. There's not enough refinery capacity in this country now because they refuse to build refineries for 20 years. There's not enough refining capacity to produce gasoline and diesel and home heating and airline. And by the way, uh, they're exporting a lot of this oil in the U.S. That's another way to keep the supply up. You know, they refine and uh, export refined oil products to a great extent. I think it's our number two export, chemicals. Chemicals are oil, right? Number two export in terms of volume and value in the U.S. Uh, Well, if you're exporting, you're going to create more of a supply here. So they export the stuff and they keep the refineries tight, right? And they keep the oil in the ground, right? And that's how they keep the price up. And what we're seeing is a shift now from shortages in gasoline, which they you know, went uh, alleviated a little bit at the end of summer when, when the public and the politicians uh, started putting fingers at them, right? Uh, but now we got the same problem in converting uh, to diesel, which means uh, uh, railroad and trucking prices and costs will go up and that will get passed down into prices. Uh, and uh, home heating oil, you know, poor folks in the Northeast dependent on that are going to uh, be a little cold uh, this winter. Uh, and uh, airline, benzene, whatever. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the Republicans complain about inflation, but what's the solution? Oh, let the oil companies get richer. Uh, you know, they're using this as a way of of uh, eliminating uh, regulations and so forth on the oil companies, which and and giving them more leases to drill uh, offshore, right? Uh, that's what the Republicans are doing. Uh, well, that's not going to do anything about inflation. I think probably people figured that out. Yeah. So you can say inflation is the problem as part of your, your campaign strategy, but what's your solution to it? Well, that's where it totally fell apart. Uh, what about the border issue? <clears throat> Republicans hyping the border issue, too, and, and there is an increasing problem on the border, right? What's the solution? Nada. They're complaining about it, but what are they putting forward? Well, finish, finish Trump's wall? I don't know. I, I couldn't hear anything clearly you know, elicited about uh, what the solution to the border is. Crime, same thing. No solution except, well, let's all carry guns even more, I guess. Right? Silent and all the mass murders that continue to go on in this country because of uh, Wild West gun gun laws or gun practice, whatever. You know, hell, people don't don't use their fists anymore. They pull out their gun. You honk your horn at someone, and they 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 stop and they come out and they point the gun at you. Right or, or pull the trigger, you know. People are kind of crazy. Uh, there's a real, uh, real segment in the U.S. population that's, uh, you know, one one foot over the cliff mentally. I think, 
But no solutions to that, you know, no solutions to the mass murders. Uh, uh, you know, Democrats really tout this, this recent uh, uh, gun control bill, which is just a lot of crap. Phony, phony crap. You know, the big problem with guns is, uh, you know, there's 15 million uh, assault rifles out there. Well, how are they going to get them back? No. Yeah, anyway, that's another issue. Uh, and then we got the war in Ukraine, right? I think Americans are getting tired of $100 billion being spent on the war in Ukraine this just this year. And Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said he's going to need $36 billion next year just to keep his economy going. I'm not talking about all the military aid. Yeah, he's going to need $36 billion more. And as the war continues, that's going to go up. So we're going another $100 billion next year, maybe. Or more. I think that's why the U.S. is getting a little bit worried, <clears throat> and uh, we're beginning to see the early signs of uh, the U.S. Uh, maybe putting pressure on Zelensky and U- Ukraine to uh, compromise a little. Of course, he's pushing back hard, saying no compromise. Um, so uh, you know the early early signs of the cost of that, and of course, the cost for the Europeans is much greater. Uh, to finance that war. But the Republicans aren't saying anything. What's their policy on, on Ukraine and the war and continuing, uh, you know, to throw U.S. riches at it? Um, well, their policy, uh, you know, McCarthy, the new speaker, I said, oh, we may not, we may not sign a blank check. What the hell does that mean? Well, it means uh, they're getting a little nervous about the amount <clears throat> of this cost, uh, but they're going to go along with it. Right. So, uh, you know, the, the Ukraine war issue is not, um, uh, Republicans did nothing with that. They didn't take that ball and run with it, right? Of course, the U.S. media is in lockstep across the board. Oh, we got to do, we, you know, we got to support Ukraine. We got to support Ukraine. What the hell for? I mean, this is a country on the other side of the world, you know, I mean, uh, and it might provoke a, a, a nuclear confrontation with Russia. We're getting closer all the time. Uh, is that in my interest? Is that in my family's interest? Do I really care about that versus a nuclear confrontation? Uh, now, you know, uh, the U.S. elites do because they got big investments in Ukraine since 2014. We'll talk about that. Right? They have a lot invested in Ukraine and a lot more to gain from Ukraine uh, economically and geopolitically. And that's why it's their war, you know, just like Vietnam was the, the war for the elites, not for us. Uh, anyway, um, Republicans didn't, didn't run with that issue, except to say they wouldn't sign a blank check. Uh, oh, they talked about uh, the Biden deficit and uh, how they got to balance the budget. Well, you know, in, on the other side of the mouth, they talk, talk about, well, we're going to balance the budget. We're going to cut some Social Security. Mm. And we're going to do some austerity. And, and there was cut spending elsewhere. Uh, well, I'm sure that went over well uh, with voters who, you know, were able to pick up that team of the Republicans. So if you look at it, the... Uh, Inflation, yeah, an issue, but no solution. Border, issue, but no solution. Crime, oh, stay away from that one. Just talk about it. 
war in Ukraine, potential issue, never really picked up. Right? Uh, the deficit, uh, yeah, that scares people. Right? And then they run these goofball candidates, you know, like there's Mehmet Oz here in Pennsylvania, right? and Herschel Walker, you know, uh, the, the first uh, candidate for the Senate with an IQ of less than 100. Uh, the crazies in Arizona, you know, for the Senate and <laughs> the House. Uh, this this uh, lake, uh, this lake here, uh, Republican uh, uh, candidate for governor. You know, they run these, these these very weak candidates, and then they lose. They're easy to, uh, to pick off as crazy and, uh, uh, you know, election deniers and uh, Trump Trump's uh, uh, radical right, uh, you know, in the shadow of Bobert and Marjorie Greene and so forth, right? Uh, weak goofball candidates, and then they lose because of them. Well, what do they expect, right? Uh and then, of course, uh, part of the Republican uh, strategy during elections was, oh, we're going to we're going to go after Biden, and uh, you know, we get control of the House, we're going to initiate our own hearings, right? Uh, we're going to look into uh, once again Hunter Biden's laptop <laughs> and uh, uh, Biden's Chinese connections, right? And oh, the origins of COVID and so forth, right? And they will spend most of their time in, in the House doing this next two years. But Republican voters don't give a damn about that. You know, what, the, what are you going to do for me, right? They don't even understand these, these issues. Uh, but uh, that's what they're going to do. Uh, and maybe this FTX will give them an... <laughs> Uh, an entry into uh, seeing how much the U.S. economic elites and their families have been exploiting this connection in the Ukraine since 2014. You know, uh, let me digress on that a little bit. Uh, when the U.S. pulled off uh, that uh, that coup in 2014, and yeah, it was a coup, and it was financed by the U.S. Victoria Newland, the Under Secretary of State for the U.S., admitted it publicly that the U.S. spent $5 billion to pull off that coup. And it was a coup because their boys did not win the election. It was their election in 2013, but they didn't win. And they didn't like the fact that they didn't win. So they pulled off this street coup using fascist ground forces. This is all a fact. But following that, uh, Victoria Newland, who was the kingmaker there now, in the, in the Ukraine, uh, was appointed economic czar for the Ukraine right after the coup. Yeah, the Ukraine government, she put the, you know, the neo-fascists in control of parliament there, uh, and the Ukraine government appointed her as economic czar for their country. Even though you had, for, for that post, you had to uh, be a citizen of Ukraine, well, you know, they lifted that requirement and made her economic czar anyway. And Victoria Newland, you know, as soon as that happens, here comes the American investors running into Ukraine right after her appointment as czar. By the way, you know, her origins are, uh, she's a ch Chicago uh, finance capitalist. Yeah, before she got into the State Department, right? Uh, probably still has connections. I forget the name of the company 
whether it was a hedge fund or an equity firm, I'm not sure, but you know, that's her origins. So she has all these connections. And once she was there, she opened the floodgates and, and here come the American investors into Ukraine. Right. And, uh, ever since then, the U S has been deepening its economic penetration of Ukraine, buying up uh, the best companies there, uh, and controlling the boards, and, you know, that's where Hunter Biden comes in. You know, he's one of these board members. Yeah. And this FTX uh, crypto thing, uh, you know, just reveals even further uh, some of the financial shenanigans that have been going on, money laundering and so forth, through these uh, Ukraine companies and all the a lot of U.S. Uh, uh, funds flowing into Ukraine, flowing back through these companies, uh, um, and cap money capital flows flowing back once they get laundered. Money gets laundered back to the U.S. Uh, anyway, this is going to be interesting to see what goes on there. As a, this FTX, this is this cryptocurrency company uh, that's just gone belly up last week. Uh, once we see what, what what the connections are there, but to sum up, what is the Republican strategy? No solution to inflation. No solution to the border, no crime solution, you know, a tepid uh, a reference to, you know, the U- Ukraine subsidies, uh, balanced budget, meaning austerity and Social Security cuts, goofball candidates, and promises of Biden hearings. That was the Republican strategy. Well, anything in that to really attract you? You know, and then you've got DeSantis in Florida who was talking other issues, you know, issues closer to home education and COVID and all this stuff, right? And he even swung Democrat, traditional Democrat uh, districts because he wasn't talking this Republican national strategy, he had his own strategy, you see, his own, and he was talking to more issues. Yeah. Well, that's my, you know, the Republicans didn't win, the Democrats lost, is what happened in the midterms. I mean, what kind of a strategy and proposals uh, would you vote for if this was their list? And then you got goofball candidates carrying the water. No, that's why there was no real red red wave. Well, let's look at the Democrats. You know, let them out fuck here. Uh, what was their strategy during the election? Well, their strategy for inflation was uh, uh, we can't do anything about it. We got to let the Fed raise interest rates. Right. Uh, Biden kept kept saying that, right? And he made some tepid moves here uh, about oil. Remember, he went to um, the Saudi Arabia, Prince Ben Salman there with his hat in hand and pleading, oh, can you increase the uh, uh, supply of oil? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> the Saudis were going to do that. You know, the Saudis uh, said, well, Ben Salman said, well, you know, I got to talk to OPEC Plus, which meant Russia, <laughs> which is OPEC Plus. None of these big oil companies were going to increase supply when uh, a recession was beginning in the world, uh, lowering the demand for oil. Just like the U.S. corporations, oil corporations, every time. Uh, you know, Biden asked them to increase output. They simply laughed at him. They didn't increase output, even though they have a.
on the ground because the one reason was they couldn't refine it if they even increased it. So then what do we got? We had uh, Biden emptying the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to increase the supply of oil. You know, over half of it's gone already in one year, as I understand. Well, then how much did that move oil gasoline prices? You know, a little bit, but not much. Not much at all. Right. So there is no inflation strategy by the Dems, Democrats, Timidcrats, whatever you want to call them. They have no inflation strategy. They just, you know, threw the issue over the, over the transom to the Fed saying, uh, okay, Fed, uh, raise interest rates. And as I said at the beginning, uh, the Fed cannot deal with supply side uh, pressures. And they, the Fed has admitted that publicly. You know, Jerome uh Powell has admitted that, well, we can't do anything about that, you know, in the statements following these rate hikes. So uh, that's why inflation is, is, is going to continue. It's a global supply problem. It's not a demand problem. Okay, so um, the Dems had no strategy for inflation, but the Republicans couldn't uh, leverage that. They couldn't take advantage of that because their solution was let's let the oil companies get richer. <laughs> Yeah, let's do more offshore drilling and so forth, you know. Didn't matter. Okay, so the Democrats, of course, made a big issue of uh, this Supreme Court decision uh, about uh, reproductive rights, right? Uh, And what they did was... um, you know, manipulate the Supreme Court decision saying, oh, you know, if the Republicans get in, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a national anti-abortion law? Yeah. Uh, and that did uh, pull, pull some people into uh, voting, you know, places like uh, uh, Pennsylvania and so forth, you know. Uh, so, you know, that had more of an effect uh, uh, than initially it might have had. The Supreme Court helped the Democrats a lot. But look, you know, I mean, would there have been a national anti-abortion law? I don't think so. I think that was a lot of hype. Well, first of all, you still have, uh, even if they had taken with a big majority both houses of Congress, uh, uh, certainly Biden would have would have uh, vetoed it, and they know that. So. Uh, but it did turn out Republic uh, Democrat voters a little bit in the independence and women in the suburbs. Okay. And that helped them uh, to some extent. Right. Okay. Um, youth, particularly uh, female youth turnout, you know, was higher. Uh, the other part of the uh, Democrat strategy was uh, uh to try to paint some of these crazy Republicans, uh, election deniers, and uh, paint the whole Republican Party as composed of election deniers. 2020 election, Trump election, in other words. Uh, another part was uh, to make phony claims about the economy. You know, I mean, Biden kept saying, oh, three million jobs have been created. He created three million jobs. Nonsense. Look. The economy reopened after COVID last spring. It reopened. And all those, many of those people who were laid off because of the COVID shutdowns simply came back to work. That's not creating jobs. That's just people uh, returning to jobs. 
And even if you say they were created, they weren't created by Biden. They were created by the economy opening up. Yeah, there's no jobs created. There's no, you know, look, there's 4 million people dropped out of the labor force for various reasons, uh, you know, in in the last uh, three, four years. 4 million people. Where did they go? Where did they go? Oh, they say, oh, we created 4 million jobs. Well, 4 million people aren't taking those jobs. Must be because jobs aren't worth taking, maybe, you know. So, uh, you know, that's a phony claim, if there ever was one. You know, um, in previous shows and on my blog, com, I've analyzed a couple of these uh, monthly job reports, you know, and uh, in that analysis showed that, well, most of the jobs being created by late summer were part-time temp jobs. You know, these weren't full-time new Good jobs. They're part-time jobs. They're gig jobs. They're part-time jobs. They're temp jobs. You know, the labor department doesn't distinguish between, you know, whether it's a good job or or a part-time or a gig or whatever. You know, and people were taking on uh, second and third jobs a lot. So you know, all this talk about oh, I created all these jobs is just a Democrat spin. And, of course, they were saying there's no recession, even though the economy contracted in the first half and appears to be roughly stagnant in the third quarter. Well, we're not in the recession. And they point to family uh, incomes, savings and incomes still high uh, on average. And if you look at, yeah, that's true at the 5 10% wealthiest household, but the rest of them are going south. Their income is retreating, and they're spending more and more on credit cards as a result. But they ignore, uh, you know, Biden and Democrats ignore the fact we are in recession, uh, hiding hiding behind the fact that there hasn't been a formal declaration of recession, even though the GDP side of the economy shows there is. Right? And then we get the last-minute uh, phony student loan forgiveness. Remember that? couple months ago well still not implemented stuck in the courts and uh the Biden administration keeps chipping away and lowering uh the cost of that how much that they're going to forgive and by the time you know we see any of that it's going to be uh pretty much if we see any of that actually happening uh it's going to be pretty minimal right uh and then uh you know Biden talks about his three acts that got passed you know, the uh, COVID Relief Act of the spring there uh, in 2021, you know, which had some uh, uh, some relief in it for people, you know, sending unemployment benefits, the checks, which were reduced, but there were checks, uh, relief checks given to people. Uh, and uh, we got six months of child care <laughs> subsidy, which is really just moving the money forward from the uh, child care tax credit uh, into uh, the previous year uh, for six months, but that was eliminated uh, loan for, I mean, uh, rent, rent um, uh, assistance was eliminated. The unemployment was eliminated. Unemployment benefits, uh, 10 million independent uh, uh, workers here, uh, we're lucky for one time to get some unemployment benefits, but that's that's been eliminated. Ten million now are no longer uh, eligible for that. Uh, 
you know, so uh, there was some in the relief, but uh, it was pulled early. The COVID relief bill of March 2021 uh, pulled early. Uh, but then uh, Biden, uh, you know, really talks about this chips, uh, semiconductor chip and uh, and R&D at $280 billion, uh, which hasn't hit the economy yet, which is just a subsidy uh, for uh, tech and chip companies in particular, you know, to try to lure them back from Asia uh, to reinvest and pump up uh, uh, production here in the U.S., right? Uh, I call it the, the, the Chip Bribery Act. Uh, that hasn't hit anything, and it's not going to really benefit uh, people much here. Uh, maybe next year a little bit. Uh, and then we get the really phony Inflation Reduction Act, which has nothing to do with inflation at all. You know, that was another, what, four, five hundred maybe $600 billion Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which was really uh, mostly subsidies uh, to get companies uh, uh, to, you know, reduce their emissions and so forth. Um, That hasn't hit the economy. You know, COVID relief is gone, uh, and the other two acts haven't hit the economy, but, you know, Biden was really hyping that, saying that, uh, you know, that's a a big deal here. That created the three million jobs, right? Uh, Phony. Phony, right? Um, Silent, uh, Democrats are silent on the border issue, border chaos going on. Yeah, they quietly fired their guy on the front there, you know. After right after the election, you know, right after the election, they fired a guy down there. Uh, so you know, there's something serious going on down there, right? Uh, and of course, they uh, repealed uh, uh, the COVID relief measures uh, where we used to get free tests. Remember that? Oh, you're gonna have to pay now, you're gonna have to buy, uh, you know, twenty dollars, uh, uh, pay twenty dollars for a test kit, you know. Uh, and your vaccines aren't going to be free going forward. Um, well, he didn't say anything about that. Stayed silent on that, right? Uh, oh, they passed this, as I said, this phony, uh, tepid uh, uh, gun control, made a big deal about it. Uh, so, you know, what is it? What was it in, in the uh, Democrat strategy and proposals uh, that would attract people? Well, only the only thing I could see was uh, uh, the Supreme Court SCOTUS um, reproductive rights was able to, uh, Democrats were able to leverage that to turn out probably more uh, independents and suburban women uh, votes and maybe some student votes too. Uh, That was the only thing, you know, and, and that was given to them by the Supreme Court, that issue. Right. But all the other issues, there's nothing in it, really, you know, no, no solution to inflation, you know, mm-hmm. nothing really that I could see with any different in the Democrat proposals of 2022 from 2020. Not all that different. Uh, and there were still, you know, the, the vestiges of anti-Trump, you know, all the election denier issues here. Uh, and those candidates who are running, uh, you know, in Arizona, Pennsylvania, and elsewhere, who were still advocating uh, the election was stolen, 
you know, allowed the Democrats to paint them as Trumpists, right? Uh, so if you look at the, the issues and the programs, the strategy, the solutions of these two parties, uh, not much changed, not much changed, a little bit on the Democrat side with the reproductive rights. But other than that, just a lot of phony claims, you know, about the economy. Uh, and then the Republicans, of course, uh, focusing on issues, but no solutions to them, whether inflation, border, crime, right? And they run goofball candidates and talk about hearings. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's pretty much uh, why, in my opinion, uh, not much changed. Uh, you know, just a little bit of movement in the House, a little bit of movement in the Senate here from 2020. Yeah, I mean, uh, usually a presidential approval rating had fallen to 40%, which Biden's has. Uh, results in a big, uh, a big shift in the midterm elections, but it didn't. It didn't. Yeah. Uh, democracy issue, you know, that was uh, election deniers. And old Trump's gone. Come on, destroy. You know, the January sixth uh, uh, hearings had no effect on anybody except those in the Beltway in Washington D.C. I don't think. Right. And we saw the same swing states involved in the midterms that we saw in the 2020 election, right? Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia. The same picture, meaning that much has changed. You know, and probably the only reason Democrats won Pennsylvania is because uh, there there was no incumbent they were running against. And Republicans put up crazy eyes. Yeah. And you look at the Arizona and Nevada, wow, even closer uh, than last time around. The Dem, Dems uh, came through by the skin of their teeth in, in those two uh, states, which are swing states, right? Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania are the swing states. They were in 2020. They were in 2022. Dems got lucky. They didn't have to run against an incumbent in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Squeak through once again in the Senate and in the Nevada and Arizona. I mean, in Nevada, really squeak through. Uh, and in Georgia, of course, we got another runoff. Same thing. It's going to be interesting runoff election because you know you have a libertarian uh, third candidate there who is really the uh, kingmaker in this and why there's a runoff. Uh, which way are the, his supporters, I forget his name, uh, are going to swing? Uh, you know, almost 2% vote. And the differences between uh, Warnock and Herschel Walker uh, are, you know, tenths of, of a 1% differences between them. Uh, but this libertarian has a 2% of the vote. Oh, I don't know. Where's this guy coming from? Why, why are libertarians <laughs> doing so well uh, in Georgia? That's interesting. Uh, which way will they they swing here in the runoff election? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, it's razor thin. Razor thin everywhere still in 22 as it was in 20. In fact, even more razor thin this time around. Right. Uh, governor races... Uh, 
the Democrats did better probably than they were expected in Michigan and Wisconsin and squeaked through in Arizona again. Hobbs just squeaked through. Um, again, probably because of the goofball candidates Republicans are running, right? Uh, and what we're going to see now in the House, we're going to see oh hearings about Biden, hearings about Biden's connections with China. Uh, you know, the other two hearings of Biden's connections with Ukraine, uh, Afghanistan. Why was there such a quick pullout? Well, I'll tell you why there was a quick pullout because they were clearing the decks to go into Ukraine and start another war in Ukraine. And the U.S. egged on Zelensky in the summer of last year through December, egged him on, uh, let him, you know, get crazy in talking not only about having NATO come into Ukraine, but uh, nuclear weapons in Ukraine, you know, just let him run with that uh, because they wanted to, uh, wanted to uh, lure the Russians into Ukraine. I wrote an article in January called 10 Reasons Why the U.S. May Want Russia to Invade Ukraine. Check it out on my blog, jackrasmus.com. This was written in January, a month before, because uh, the Russian invasion, because it was obvious that uh, the U.S. was taunting Russia and provoking it and wanting it. I mean, they were, they were instituting sanctions on Russia even before the invasion, sanctions in December and January, uh, doing everything they can to lure them in, in which the Russians took the bait and invaded, right? just like they took the bait in 1979-80, when the U.S. did the same in Afghanistan, the U.S. lured Russia to invade Afghanistan. Look, it's a historical record admitted by the U.S. NSA advisor to Jimmy Carter. His name was Zbigniew Brzezinski. Yeah. And by the way, whose family came from Ukraine, was chased out of Ukraine by the, by the communists, right, who ended up in Canada. And then uh, the Ukraine uh, uh, anti-Russian, anti-communist uh, uh, group there at Harvard University pulled him into Harvard, uh, and then, of course, we address this history. He becomes the main uh, anti, uh, anti-communist anti advisor. Well, he was an NSA advisor in 1979, December 1979, Jimmy Carter. And in his memoir, uh, he admits that uh, he came to Jimmy Carter, and he said, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's lure the Russians into... Afghanistan by destabilizing the new Afghanistan government, which, by the way, was a secular government. Uh, the guy's name was Najibullah, uh, who was, you know, a, a part of the military there that wanted reforms and took over, kind of, kind of like uh, uh, Chavez in Venezuela, very similar. Well, you know, they had, his government was unstable, and... Uh, Brzezinski saw an opportunity for the U.S. to destabilize it further, and knowing that he would, uh, he, Najibullah, would call in the Russians, you see, the Soviets at the time. And that's exactly what happened. And the U.S. started destabilizing the Najibullah Afghanistan government in the summer of 79, you know, by arming 
the opposition in the summer, before the Russians, Soviets even invaded, uh, on the invitation of Najibullah, the then president, uh, you know, the Russians didn't start coming in, I think, until it was December 79, early 1980. You know, on invitation, they they came in. Uh, well, the U.S. was destabilizing it long before that, months before that, purposely. And now we got the Brzezinski 2.0 strategy in the Ukraine. Yeah, the idea is for the U.S. to lure the Russians in, right, create a proxy war, finance uh, uh, the anti-Russian uh, forces, in this case, uh, Zelensky and uh, uh, the neo-fascists who were, were put in place by the U.S. policy in 2014, uh, and uh, fight a proxy war uh, in, you know, against the Russians to debilitate the Russians, uh, which they said the U.S.'s policy has been always, always necessary uh, before going on after the Chinese. you got to neutralize Russia. Uh, that's what the Rand Corporation said in 2016. That was the policy of U.S. imperial elites at the time. They were going to do that uh, in 2016. They had pulled off, of course, the coup in 14. Uh, U.S. corporations flooded in. And, uh, you know, in 2016, the whole idea was uh, to uh, accelerate uh, the crisis, the war. But, of course, then Trump got elected and all that went on the shelf for four years. But as soon as Biden got back, well, what did he do immediately? Hmm? Activated the 2016 strategy here. And uh, that's why he pulled out of Afghanistan to clear the deck, you know, uh, for the new war in Ukraine. It's all pretty clear. Well, the Republicans are going to have some hearings on why uh, Biden pulled out so quickly in Afghanistan. I don't think they're going to go anywhere. You know, they're going to have hearings on the border situation. Uh, pump that up uh, for next election. Right? They're going to have hearings on Biden, Hunter Biden's laptop. You know, how about the laptops of all the other juniors of American elite who were sent to sit on boards uh, into Ukraine after the U.S. coup? There's, there's more than Hunter Biden there. They may not have lost their laptops, of course. Uh, the origins of COVID, uh, we're going to see, you know, what are the issues here? Uh, Republican uh, right wing is saying, oh, it started in China. It started in China. So we're going to have orange, origins about that. And the U.S. covered it up, right? Uh, school lockdowns, you know, during the recent COVID relief, you know, that they were really unnecessary to lock down the kids, um, which has had devastating results, of course, uh, on the kids here. Nearly two years, especially those who are minority kids, uh, who didn't go to school at all. You know, all this remote learning uh, never really occurred very much uh, within the minority communities, you know, the Latino and, and, and the blacks and so forth communities. Those kids just didn't go to school for at least a year and a half, maybe two. Uh, and then, of course, uh, even worse for the high schoolers <laughs> who didn't go to school. So we have a population of kids uh, uh, who had uh, you know, less than two years of schooling here. Uh, <clears throat> and you can see it in the test results that are now being taken. <clears throat> They're even less uh, prepared uh, to enter the world of work uh, than before. Uh, so 
that's what we're going to see from the Republicans here. We're going to see all these hearings in the House uh, because the right wing now, you know, the Marjorie Greens, the Boberts, and so forth, uh, have even greater influence because the uh, with the Republicans with McCarthy because uh, uh, the, it's so narrow a vote. You know, um, if McCarthy doesn't let them uh, do what they want to do, uh, you're going to have a situation with Republicans in the House similar to what you had with Democrats in the Senate. Uh, Mansion and cinema pretty much determining the policy of the Democrats in the Senate because the margin of, uh, of votes was so so narrow in the Senate. Well, you've got the same situation now in the House on the other side with the Republicans. So we're going to see a lot of crazy stuff coming out of uh, uh, the House uh, on the Republican side. Uh, and uh, eh, you'll you'll see some issues. Uh, in addition to the hearings, the Republicans probably will just uh, uh, throw uh, bills across the uh, the aisle there to the Senate, uh, which they know that the Democrats can't agree to, you know, like uh, cutting the budget and Social Security and so forth, right? Just to make a, a campaign uh, issue out of it that the Democrats uh, block this legislation. That'll be the strategy of Republicans here, I think, going forward. Um, but uh, the Republicans are going to be in chaos here because you're going to have this uh, Trump DeSantis fight <laughs> going. That's going to be fun to watch. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know, Democrats sit back and say, oh, let them implode. Uh, but nothing's going to change much, you know, because uh, the, the divisions in this country are, are solidified, solidified, and uh, that's going to change much there. Right. Uh, uh, last uh, minute comment here uh, on uh, this FTX thing, right? Uh, Sam Bankman, Freed. CEO of FTX, which is a cryptocurrency company that is involved with a lot of speculation. Uh, you know, that's why people bought crypto, because the prices were rising so high so fast, right? These are speculators. You don't invest to long term. You invest uh, uh, for price change and price appreciation and uh, financial capital gains, right? That's why people were plowing into uh, uh you know, into cryptos. But of course, uh, now with the economy shifting, the cryptos have crept. And there's some evidence that FTX is involved with laundering money through Ukraine. Well, we'll hopefully see what that means. Okay, that's it. I'm out of here.